Well, it's here. It's the first Sunday of Advent. This is often when preachers do a lame Happy New Year joke because it's uh, the first Sunday of our Christian calendar, so you can kind of say Happy New Year. Um, you guys don't find that funny, obviously. <laughs> so I love Advent, and I don't just mean that I love Christmas. I mean, I love Christmas. I love all the songs. That was awesome, by the way, Edward. Thank you for that. I love all the songs. I love the food. I love the Hallmark movies and the decorations. But I also really just love Advent. Advent are these weeks before Christmas, a time of preparation where we prepare all of the earthly things for our celebration, obviously, but prepare our hearts for this good news that we are about to receive, the birth of the Christ child. And as I was pulling out decorations yesterday, I noticed that I have an abundance of Advent calendars, like probably more than the average person, I would guess. Like I have some where it's just sort of a countdown where you like move the candy cane from pocket to pocket until you get closer. I have some where it's like you add something to the tree every day. I have one where you take something off every day. I have one that's a bunch of boxes and in every box I put a little slip of paper. They're small boxes. I put a little slip of paper that has like maybe a trivia question or a Bible verse or an activity that we'll do that day as a family. Um, that one is Emma's favorite. She likes to see what we're going to do each day. Um, and so, I mean, that doesn't even count the consumable Advent calendars, like the chocolate Advent calendar, because according to that one, Christmas is like next week already. So we're not even going to count that one. <laughs> but there's all these Advent calendars that, that I have. And as I was looking at all of them, I realized it just reminded me of how much I love Advent and this time that we have of preparation to get ready for this gift of good news that we are about to receive. The anticipation for me becomes as much a part of the celebration and the joy of Christmas as the actual day of Christmas. Just the wonderment that God of the universe, our creator who placed the stars in the sky with all of his majesty, all of his power, would trade a throne for a manger. It's really unexpected. And I think that for us, because we get busy with the season, or because we've just heard the story so many times before, we forget how truly unexpected this was for God to become one of us in the form of a helpless infant. And so we're going to look a little bit today at that first Christmas when Joseph receives the news of the coming Christ child. Uh, we're doing our Advent study this year is All I Want for Christmas by Jim Moore. Uh, a lot of our small groups are going to be studying it, so if you want to study this for Advent, you might join one of those groups. Uh, and then Mike and I also are going to use it as sort of a jumping off point for our sermons during Advent. And it's all about focusing on the gifts that Christmas brings us, rather than the gifts that we give and receive to and from one another. And that gift in this first section really is 
the good news. And we'll see that it's a gift that keeps on giving uh, as we think about the faith and the hope and the love that are inspired within us each year by the Christmas story. So we're going to focus today on Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. So to understand what Matthew is doing here, it's kind of important to look at the earlier chapters of uh, the earlier verses of this chapter, of chapter one. It's the genealogy of Jesus. And it's one of those sections of the Bible that people often kind of scan over because it's like so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so, right? But it's really important to this story because it's the, the, um, the Messiah, the genealogy of the Messiah, son of Abraham and son of David. And Matthew lists 14 generations from Abraham to David. And then 14 generations from David to the exile. And then 14 generations from the exile to Jesus. And it's in this last section in verse 16 where we read that Joseph, the son of Jacob, is in the line of Abraham and David. And you can see in the scripture that we just read that the angel addresses Joseph as son of David. And so... It's really important to Matthew that the readers see how the choosing of Joseph fulfills Old Testament scripture. In fact, almost a dozen times throughout the Gospel of Matthew does he refer to the prophets and Old Testament scripture so that we know that Jesus is the Messiah. The story that we're maybe more familiar with and that we hear most often at Christmas is from Luke and focuses more on Mary as the central character. But Matthew has chosen to focus on Joseph, establishing him firmly not only as the earthly and adoptive father of Jesus, but placing him in that line of Abraham and David. It might also be helpful to understand the process of engagement at the time of Mary and Joseph. So there, um, rituals of engagement would have been much more binding than our modern notion of engagement. Uh, and there were long periods of betrothal and engagement. And so in this time, while they weren't let, yet living together, she would have been seen by the community as Joseph's wife. And a separation 
would have required a divorce. And so when she comes to Joseph with this news that she is expecting a baby and he knows there's no way that the baby is his, uh, he plans to dismiss her quietly out of love and compassion. Because by all rights, he could have had her condemned or stoned even, but he didn't choose to do that. Matthew tells us he was a righteous and a just man, and he chose to show compassion to Mary. But then we have this scene where the angel comes to Joseph and tells him not to be afraid, but to take Mary as his wife and to name the child, the Son of God, Jesus. And in this action, when uh, verse 24 tells us that Joseph awoke and did all the angel commanded of him, all the angel of the Lord commanded of him. And in that action of obedience, we see a model for how we should respond when God calls us, when there's something placed upon our heart that God would like us to do or even when we just become aware of how much God loves us, how our response should be formed. Obedience, yes, but also Joseph chose in that moment to look at what probably was very shocking and hurtful news as good news. He chose faith and hope and love. Instead of our human nature which often lends toward worry and fear and doubt. And I think that as we are making our way through the world, we often are faced with the same choice. The stakes may not be as high, but we often come into situations where we can choose between faith and worry, trust and doubt, love or hate. So this news that Joseph heard was not what he had planned or intended for his life, but he accepted it and did as God commanded of him. And so this amazing gift that we might overlook because we're busy with the Christmas season or because we've just heard the story so many times is that Christ's birth means that God is with us, Emmanuel. And that can inspire our faith, ground us in hope, and lead us to love. Now, don't get me wrong. God has always and will always be with God's people. God was with Abraham in Genesis 12 when he called him to Canaan. God was with Moses in Exodus 3. God was with Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. He was with David when he defeated Goliath. He was with Jeremiah and Isaiah when he sent them to be messengers. God has always been with God's people. But the coming of Christ, God coming to earth to be one of us, is a new and unexpected way of being with us. It reconciles us to God in a way that we could never do by our own power or our own actions. Matthew sees Jesus as what the law of Moses points to, but could never produce itself. Jesus saves us from our own exile 
in our hearts and our minds, saves us from ourselves, and makes it so that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, not even death. And each year as we celebrate this amazing gift of good news, the birth of the Christ child, we can find our faith inspired and renewed. Christmas reconnects us to God and reminds us that we are invited into this relationship. Emmanuel, God with us, the gift that inspires our faith. This gift of good news is also the foundation of our hope. Each Christmas season, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we're not celebrating a memory of something that happened. We're celebrating a promise. And we talked about a few weeks ago the Christian meaning of hope, that it's not just a wish or a desire. It is a certainty. It is a promise. God's love is so amazing for us, and he fulfills this promise with the gift of his son. And every promise of God finds its yes in Christ. So many years ago, hundreds of years ago on that dark night, a star shone bright. And centuries later, as the light of the world, that light still shines in and through and within us. And that is where our hope is found. One of my favorite Christmas songs is um, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And it was actually a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in 1863 during the Civil War. And you could say that he had sort of lost hope. His wife had died a couple years late, uh, earlier. His oldest son, had joined the Union Army and was severely wounded. He looked around at this war that was raging on around him, at this nation he loved that was torn apart, and he was despondent. And that's reflected in the poem that later becomes this song that I love, which would be great, you know, if we could do that at some point this season. <laughs> and in despair, I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's kind of a downer in the first part of the song. But then he remembers that hope is not found in these circumstances, but in the fact that God has the ultimate victory. Then rang the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And the bells, they're ringing, like a choir, they're singing, and with our hearts, we will hear them. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Emmanuel, God with us, the gift that restores our hope. Now faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love. God comes to be with us for no reason other than that he loves us. Unexplainably, undeservingly, unconditionally, God loves us. And in that source of love, God shows us 
how we are to love others. Jesus is the epitome of that love in his birth, in his life, and ultimately in his death. You know, in this day and age when Christmas is celebrated worldwide by both Christians and non-Christians alike, sometimes the lines get a little bit blurred about what it is we're really celebrating and what that real meaning of Christmas is. Not long ago, just a couple weeks, I saw a post on Facebook from a Christian artist. And the post wasn't even about Christmas, but you could see a Christmas tree in the background. And people started commenting on the post, not, not a ton of people, but a few, started commenting on the post how disappointed they were in this person that they would use a pagan symbol to celebrate Christmas and the birth of Christ, that it was taking the focus off of what the true meaning of Christmas is. And I thought, that is just so sad. As I explained to the kids this morning, it may not have started out uh, as a Christian symbol, but God works all things for God's good. And if we can share it as a symbol of God's love, if it can be a reminder to us in some small way of how much God loves us and of the birth of Christ, I think we can have an amazing Christmas by earthly standards and still keep Christ at the focus. And I hope that you do. But if you have a beautiful home decorated perfectly inside and out, if you have delicious cookies and an abundance of holiday food, if you have the perfect present for the perfect person, but all of it's done without love, you've missed the point. If all of it is done out of obligation rather than adoration for the Messiah, then it's just all for show. Love for God and love for others, remembering our faith that reconciles us to Christ, to God through Christ, and trusting in the hope that is only found in Jesus. That's the difference between the celebration of Christmas for the Christian versus the non-Christian. I pray that your celebrations will be rooted and grounded in love, the love that God has for us and the love that we share for one another, shown to us by this miraculous gift that is the birth of Christ. We have been given really good news. Emmanuel, God is with us. Let that anticipation of that amazing gift over the few weeks that we have to prepare our hearts be just as much a part of your celebration as the day of Christmas. Pay attention to the little things and the little moments where God is at work and that we can share this good news with other people. Let us pray. Dear God, the countdown has begun. The anticipation is exciting, but also a little bit daunting as we check our lists of all there is to do. Help us to focus on preparing our hearts just as much as we prepare our homes. 
Open our eyes and ears this season that we might see all the wondrous ways that you are at work in our midst. Soften our hearts to receive this good news and ignite within us a passion to share with everyone we meet how amazing this gift is that we have received. Inspire our faith, restore our hope, and empower us to put love at the center of all of our activities this Advent. Mostly, God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, light of every nation, loving Savior, our hope and our salvation. Amen.